last of the announcements. So if you want to open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, you can stand with me, and I'm just going to read these 18 verses of the chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. But share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I've believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed to him until that day. Therefore, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among those are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. Lord, as we are in this pastoral epistle, there's so much for pastors, and there's three of us in this church But Lord, there's so much for everyone, Lord, as you've called us all to the ministry of the gospel, uh, to be using our gifts within a local body so that this church could be edified and built up and and, um, display the gospel to this world. And we just pray that the spirit would just be upon us today as we study this text that has this overarching theme of guarding what was committed to us. That we would be preaching the word and preaching the gospel as we guard the gospel. So we just pray that you would even do a work in our church of just the preaching and the guarding of the gospel in this second Timothy season. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
So 2 Timothy is a letter from Paul. It's one of the prison epistles. Uh, So he wrote this letter while he was in prison. Uh, He was very severely in prison. Uh, He was in a dark, damp cell, which history says was way below ground and had one little window for any sort of light and fresh air. It was way up high. Uh, This is Paul's final letter that he would write in the scriptures, and he writes it to his uh, young protege, his young disciple, Timothy. Um, It's been called Paul's swan song, and I had to look that up. The swan song is like your final performance before retirement. And so uh, this was his last ballet, if you will. I always call it the final pulse of Paul as you read it. And it was so important as people are on their way out to listen to their final words before we say goodbye. And so in this final letter, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy holds the line. And so he has just these strong pleadings, these strong urgings, these strong exhortations to the next generation who will keep the advancement of the gospel going forth. But as he does, man, it's kind of a somber letter. When you know it's that swan song, when you know that it's that last letter, it's kind of bittersweet. It's kind of, you know, reading it, I'm working on memorizing this as I did First Timothy, and just reading it, I have to repeat it and repeat it and write it out. I'm just, there's something of a nearness to Paul as I'm doing that, and and almost a saying goodbye from Paul as I'm doing that. Bishop uh, Handley Mool confessed that he found it difficult to read this second letter to Timothy. And he wrote, it's hard to read without finding something like a mist gathering in the eye. And uh, you might find that from time to time as we read uh, this epistle. Uh, John Stott said, Uh, That's understandably so. It's a very moving human document. We're to imagine the apostle Paul the aged languishing in some dark, dank dungeon in Rome from which there's to be no escape but death. His own apostolic labors are over. He says, I've finished the race. But now he can say, or but now he must make a provision for the faith after he's gone, and especially for the transmission to future generations. So he sends Timothy this most solemn charge, and really it's found in verse 14 of chapter 1, to preserve what he has received at whatever cost, hand it on to faithful men in chapter 2, verse 2, who will then hand it down to faithful men, faithful men, so on and so forth. Quite the history behind this letter, and I read it this week, and so I hope that I can convey it correctly, but though Paul wrote this final letter, um, he had actually gone to the end of the then-known world. Uh, he had made it over to Spain, and, and Rome, in, in uh, the book of Romans, he says, you know, I hope to make it to Spain, and it's believed that Paul made it to Spain. Some even say he made it over to Britain. And uh, preached the gospel. And so really just all the way across Europe, all the way across the English Channel to the barbarians in Britannia, you know, and, and preached the gospel. 
And he'd even been able to go back and visit some of the churches. But now he finds himself under arrest uh, under Caesar Nero, who uh, it's been said that once Paul gave his defense to Nero, Nero went crazy and began the persecution um, of the Christians. And that really there's just no hope in Paul's letter of being released. He really knows that the next step for him is uh, probably being beheaded, which is eventually what happened on the Aegean Way. He was a Roman citizen, and so he was kind of granted that swift death of uh, beheading. As you maybe are taking notes, or you might write some things down, again, it's, it's important to know a theme behind first, uh, 2 Timothy, that uh, Paul is going out, he realizes that, he wants Timothy to hold the line, to guard the gospel, to get the gospel out there, to not compromise. And so in chapter 1, verse 14, we have a key verse where Paul, uh, Timothy is told to guard the gospel, where it says, That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So that good thing, that good gospel, um, keep. If you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, it might even be on the same page of your Bible, so just go back a book, chapter 6, verse 20. He says it to him in the first epistle. O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. It's that good treasure of the gospel that he is to guard in chapter two we see a charge to suffer for the gospel that he's to take his share of suffering as a good soldier of jesus christ in chapter three there's the charge to continue in the gospel as it says in 3 13 and 14 that evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse They'll be deceiving and deceiving others. And, uh, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. And then in chapter 4, there's the charge to proclaim the gospel. So guard the gospel, suffer for the gospel, continue in the gospel, proclaim the gospel. Those are very relevant charges for us in 2018, in Oregon, in Crook County, in Prineville, guard the gospel, every one of us. We live in a day where the, the gospel is watered down through so many avenues and through so many means. And so we've got to be coming back to what was committed by the, by the Lord Jesus to the apostles, to faithful men, to faithful men, to faithful men, All the way to here we are, and we've got an inerrant book in front of us that we can use as our authority, that we can protect, that we can suffer for. It's worth suffering for because we know it is true, that we can continue in, and that we can preach. It's for us today. Again, Stott said, the church of our day urgently needs to heed the message of this second letter to Timothy. For all around us, we see Christians and churches relaxing their grasp of the gospel, fumbling it, in danger of letting it drop from their hands altogether. A new generation of young Timothys is needed who will guard the sacred deposit of the gospel, who are determined to proclaim it, and are prepared to suffer for it, 
and who will pass it on pure and uncorrupted to the generation which in due course will rise up and follow them. So you guys, we have this authoritative document that's given to us that the Holy Spirit gave to faithful men, holy men, who wrote it down as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. It's been committed to us. And so we have this same urging. We can use it. We ought to know it. There's a beautiful little ringtone there. It's always just a good reminder to reach on in your pocket and flick that silent switch, but it's all right. It happens to all of us. One of my favorite preachers always goes, and make mine a pepperoni, you know. Um, but uh, I'm like, but if they're calling you, then how's the order happening exactly? But anyways, and so with that being said, you guys, even myself, I find myself in times where there's someone there and they're just challenging even in an innocent way, the truth of the gospel to where you have to open your mouth up and say, I'm sorry, friend, but we believe different things. We believe in different gospels. And the New Testament says in Galatians, and that's not another gospel. We've got to be willing and, and ready at the drop of a hat to say, I'm sorry, but Joseph Smith is not a prophet. Muhammad is not a prophet. Buddha has not found the path to enlightenment. All right? There is one way. There is one way of salvation. There is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is salvation found in no other, nor is there any other name given among men by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 tells us there's one way. There's one hero. There's one savior. And it is just pride and arrogance to think that, that you can go against the God of the universe and determine that for yourself. Well, how do we know? How do we know what's the right way? It's a good question. It's a valid question. It's not a rebellious question. How do we know? My kids ask it. My little Laney asks it. Well, what makes you think we're right, dad? It's like, that's a great question. We got to do our research and do our homework. And you will find as you trace back everything through time, through history, you find yourself in the most ancient faith there's ever been. And that from the very beginning, the God who created entrusted holy and faithful men with the task of preserving the truth all through the pages of history. And he validated those claims with signs and wonders, and he had these men write down the canon, the authority, the standard of the scriptures. And you can use the scriptures and find that it's not an abstract work. It's not a conglomeration of things. It's specific books with all one story written by 40 different men from different walks of life, from, you know, from all the different continents except Antarctica, and, and yet they all speak the same story of a God who loves us and created us to walk with him. Yet we rebelled against him. So he set out on this incredible rescue plan to redeem us from our sins. But we've got to humble ourselves and confess that we've sinned and we've ruined and tarnished our status before God. We are now spiritually bankrupt. And so we've got to humble ourselves and say, oh man, I've messed everything up. But, oh, you have brought it all back and healed it all. And so I fall at your feet and receive grace and mercy and righteousness that it was purchased for me by the blood of the God-man, Jesus Christ. If he 
people don't want to do that because all those other faiths, you get to kind of say, I'm still a pretty good guy, still a pretty good person, and I can make it on my own. Well, that's counter the Christian gospel. That's counter the Christian story because it tells us you can't make it on your own. You will stand judged and be found guilty if you try to do that. You have got to humble yourself like a little child, and you've got to receive this gift of grace. Okay? So, all of that being said, it's not whatever way you want. It's not all roads lead to, lead to heaven, and we're just all on different paths. There's one way, and God is a plan for all those other ways to be told that one way. But we've been lazy and stagnant, and we're not getting out there and telling people. And so it grieves me when people from the cults in town spout out some of their cultish heresy on Facebook and people who say they're Christians that we know and love give affirmation to that. Just to kind of please and just to kind of comfort and just to kind of say, well, really, we're just all in this together. We're not all in this together. Satan has a plan to ruin souls and to rob God of glory by deceiving men and women. And so we've got to be quick to say, hey, I love you, man, or I love you, gal. But we're on totally different pages. And maybe I could just speak into you some of the words of life that I've found to be true through the pages of Holy Scripture. All right. All that to say, Paul is telling Timothy, toe the line. Hold the line. Don't backslide in truth. He's telling Timothy, who's the next generation, that, hey, man, the torch is being passed to you. The baton is being passed to you. You're going to be given the charge. You are now the commanding officer. You're the, you're the next group of uh, someone called it, um, oh, rats. I read it a couple times, and I was like, that's good, but it's way too smart for me. And you know what? It was. It was something about... That although Timothy wasn't an apostle, uh, because he wasn't one of those that saw Jesus, he was an apostle through, um, you know how babies are in the womb. It was something about blah, 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 blah. blah. Well, we're just going to waste a whole bunch of time as I try to think of biological terms here. An apostle through... Yeah, so where... Yeah, so I, I got it. Tune into the Facebook page. I'm going to post it later today. All right, so there are areas of tie-in for us as well here in 2018. Not only do we need to toe the line with the gospel and that there's truth, and that we need to do our, our due diligence in studying to know that truth according to the word of God, okay? We need to know why is the Bible our authority? What makes us think we can trust the Bible? Where did the Bible even come from? You know, and, and to know those things so that we have an authority that we can rest in. But then also that we too are the Pauls and the apostles who are raising up the next generation. You know, we have got a classrooms, you know, three or four classrooms back here packed with kids who are the next generation. They're the next preachers and teachers and worship leaders and core group leaders and, and uh, pastors and, you know, and, uh, and uh, meals ministry coordinators, you know. They're right there. They're behind this wall right here. All right, we are training them up. And so with that being said, as we move forward with things, even like a church building project, 
We're looking at this with our, the future of our children in mind. How can we just best make disciples? How can we have better opportunity to disciples our children? And so when we go forward with like a building project, we're doing that with the next generation in mind. Not only with the classrooms and the space, but also right now, it's so neat. Brenda has taken over the um, toddlers and nursery and pre-K age group. And she has, has this passion in her heart that even the babies have the gospel preached to them, the word of God read over them, and they are worshipped and prayed with and have a craft about the gospel every Sunday. And even this week, I got through my email, three different options for this next season's curriculum, and every one of them through different companies uh, are just incredibly gospel-saturated for little toddlers to hear the gospel. And it's just so awesome that we're not just babysitting your kids back there, which is important. We want you to have an undistracted time being poured into with the word of God so you can grow up. But we're also discipling your kids back there, just as Paul did with Timothy, with the youth ministry and with the high school ministry. Even this week at our elders meeting, we spent a good amount of time talking about how we can best disciple the youth and the high schoolers so that the next generation is equipped with the gospel and they're going forth with their gifts of the spirit to edify the, uh, the church and to proclaim the gospel out there in this world. And so these, there's just these touch points of the book of 2 Timothy and where our church is um, here in Prineville. And so we studied briefly verses 1 through 5 uh, last Sunday there in the park. And so we're going to go ahead and just hop on down and look at verse 6. Of course, you don't just want to start verse 6, a therefore, and just hop in blindly. We know that Paul had just spoken to Timothy about a, the history that they have together as friends and as a mentor-disciple relationship. Paul says, I call to mind the, the genuine faith that was in your grandmother, Lois. You guys know, you guys have friends that you know, just, you know their grandma, you know her name, you remember grandma baking cookies when you go over to your friends. They're like, I know your grandma, I know your grandmother, Lois. That gal had a genuine faith. I know your mother, uh, your mother Eunice, Yeah, it was in her too. But you know what, Timothy, I'm persuaded that genuine faith is in you also. And so he goes on to say, so I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. If you weren't in the park service last week, I encourage you to get online and listen to that message where we talked about a genuine faith. What's a genuine faith look like? How did Paul know that it was in, you know, Grandma Lois and Mom Eunice and, and in Timothy? If, if, you know, if we live in this world of like, judge not, you know, don't speak into my life anything you see in my life. It's like, hey, you know what? It's okay as brothers and sisters in the Lord to observe one another and to just, uh, you know, see each other's fruit of the Spirit just blossoming off of each other's lives. And if there's anything concerning, the Bible tells us that we're to speak into each other's lives. Man, uh, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And open rebuke is even better than love carefully concealed. We're to speak into each other's lives. And if there's anything that's a cause for concern, we love one another enough to speak it into one another's life. And so just there was this great exhortation last week in the park that, man, have the Holy Spirit examine your life and, and speak. Is there a genuine, 
saving faith in you. It's still good. Even this week, you can ask yourself that. You can ask the Lord that. In fact, you might even ask someone in your life, hey, when you look at me, do you see like a total hypocrite, (laughs) you know? Or do you see there's genuine work of God going on in me? And I I trust the Lord with everything that's within me. Or where are there things in my life that maybe maybe I'm just I'm, I'm stumbling or I'm stumbling and mumbling and fumbling and just speak uh, pray for me in that area. Will you pray for me in that area? That's okay. That's good and that's right. That actually shows strength in you to be able to do that. And so if it is, if today there is genuine faith in you, therefore, Paul says, stir up the gift that's within you. Stir it up. <clears throat> the word, stir up, I was typing it this week and I messed up, and it auto-corrected to sit up. <laughs> I'm like, sit up? Where'd that come from? Sit up. Okay, um, but also, yeah, sit up, <laughs> you know? If you're living in a spiritual laziness, Paul would say, hey, sit up. Sit up straight. Pay attention. God has got a plan for you, man and woman, with genuine faith. So sit up and stir up the gift that's within you. And as I've studied this, the different translations of this, uh, mine is one of the rare translations where it uses the word stir up. And, of course, I used the silly analogy last week of if you're making Kool-Aid or something, you know, and you put the powder down in the bottom and you pour the water and all the powder sits at the bottom and it's just flavorless, it's dull, the kids don't want to have anything to do with it. And what a great thing it is. Don't you love that when you go, oh, time to stir it. Stir, 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 and all the color comes back in. You pour a nice, bright red glass of Kool-Aid. Flavor and energy comes, right? Real energy, the good, healthy kind of energy that comes from full cup of sugar. Like, put a whole cup of sugar? Is that a typo? <clears throat> so stir it up. Would that be a word for you today? Think of your spiritual life. Think of where you're at. Has it just all sunk to the bottom? Are you living in yesteryear? Are you living in the good old days of your spiritual life? Yeah, I had a genuine faith, and man, it was back in the 70s during the Jesus movement. You know, man, Chuck Smith had a good thing going back then. Or, or man, you know, for me, it could be, man, 1997, 1998, revival was happening. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. I've turned into the guy that's just, you know, the quarterback that, you know, never finished the season. And, like, he's 45. He's like, just let me in, coach, you know. And Uncle Rico on finding, or on uh, Napoleon Dynamite, you know. Finding Nemo or finding Napoleon, right? Just put me, oh man, if I could go back. Do you ever wish I'd build a time machine? You could just go back, right? So anyways, don't go, don't think back then. In fact, forget those things. God has just as much awesome stuff to do now where you're at in your age, in your physical fitness level, in your circles of friends, at your work, with the pay you're getting. He wants to use you as, as an ambassador for the gospel right now where you're at. He wants to use you in this church, even this week, in an incredible way. So sit up, all right, and stir up the gift. Okay, I got this shirt from Goodwill this week. I was just wondering if I got the, you like it? Okay. So stir it up. Now, the other translations, most of the others I looked at, went from sit up, not sit up, stir up, 
And they made it this way. They said it this way. Rekindle. Rekindle the gift that's within you. Or relight the fire. Have it caused to begin to burn again. The different Greek uh, lexicons that would help us understand this would say, reactivate. Reactivate it. I got a letter from the Franklin Graham crusade this week that said that someone from our church was at the crusade and when the gospel call was put forth, they responded to the gospel. And, and if I could just get a hold of that person, then go for it, you know. And so I did. And, and on the card, it said, I'm uh, recommitting my life to Christ. And that's just great. That recommit or reactivate. You're like, yeah, let's do this. Is it time to reactivate your relationship with the Lord or revive? Revival rekindle, reactivate. In your spiritual life, have you just grown cold and dull and dead? One translator said, to cause it to kindle afresh or to keep it in full flame. I spoke last week briefly. I kind of touched on this. And, and I was just thinking about, you know, um, the Teskies gave us this little fire pit for your porch. And I'm not using it right now because of the fire season. But the couple times that I've used it, you know, a little bit of pyro comes out in me, you know, and i got to, like, make the little teepee of sticks, you know, and then build on top of that and then get the match in there. And, man, you just know that you've got it when just one match and boom, it's going, you know, and you're just like, hey, kids, did you see that? Like, it's your dad, right? I mean, that was pretty amazing, you've got to say. But then, of course, it piddles out and there's, like, one little ember off over here in the corner and you come out and you're like, ah, oh, man. So then you pile stuff around it and you start blowing on it. You know, and that one little ember begins to spread across the log. You know, you know what I'm talking about. You keep blowing on it. You keep blowing on it. Keep blowing on it. And then it touches the new lumber. It touches the new kindling, and it just starts again. And then all of a sudden, you got the blaze. Just be honest. Have you ever been there in your spiritual life? You're just like, this is cold and dead. Let's just be honest. And the Lord just wants to rekindle in your life. He wants to keep it into full flame, another translator said. Kindle it afresh. Keep it in full flame. Cause it to burn again. I mentioned that song from the Vineyard CD back in like 1996, you know, and it was, uh, don't let my love grow cold. I'm calling out, light the fire again. Anybody know that song? Do you remember that song? I'm crying out, light the fire again. For me to be a little bit nostalgic and to go back to the high school revival I was a part of, we had a camp where we went away and the Lord just lit a bunch of teenagers on fire for him. And, and the camp was called On Fire. And lo and behold, we came back on fire. And then we had this red t-shirt with a flame and it was on fire. And we just, whoa, let's do this. Let's take this town for Jesus. Going into our schools, preaching the gospel in the open areas of our school, in class. Even had a Christian uh, teacher that said, look, I'm stoked at what you're doing. Just get your work done and then just preach the gospel. And this whole class time is for you. I just began to preach the gospel. I had a biology class with a science teacher who was an evolutionist. And I was just this zealous little 14-year-old that thought he knew everything. And I'm just talking about Jesus and how he rose from the dead and how he created everything. And you can tell by blah, 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 you know. 
because I got a creation magazine once. You know, I knew how to just totally argue with this guy. No, I'm kidding. But I love thinking about those times. And maybe you have those times. But let's not just, let's not just stay there. Today can be those times. Let the Holy Spirit just fan the flame and light the fire again. Heard a saying this week, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. Give a man a fire, he's warm for a day. Set a man on fire, he's warm for the rest of his life. But in a way, it's true. <laughs> we need to spend a little time praying after today, especially in this season. But if the Holy Spirit would set us on fire, that's the language of the New Testament, being on fire. That's the language of the book of Acts, tongues of fire. When the Holy Spirit came, tongues of fire. You know, in this new song by Elevation Worship, tongues of fire testifying of the sun. Lord, let us be on fire. Set us on fire so that we'll be warm for the rest of our life. Tell you what, that, that high school camp I went to on fire, I have never been the same. Man, I was a lukewarm brat at best when I was 14 years old. And something happened in the, just the Holy Spirit came upon me and just changed me. Made me a servant to my sisters when I was the most selfish, bratty brother there ever was. Serving my sisters, preferring my sisters, uh, like caring about the word of God and wanting to read it, wanting to go to church. That had never happened before. Wanting to be at everything the church did as a 14-year-old. Preaching the gospel with my friends. Having sleepovers with my friends where we would read the entire book of Revelation together, and then worship all night long. 14, 15-year-olds. And those are things that the Lord desires for us, for us to be on fire as we would stir up and fan the flame. And the verse doesn't end there. It goes on with that gift that he's given. With the gift that he's given. And the word in the Greek is charisma. You ever heard that word before? Charisma? Man, he's got some charisma. She's got some charisma. That comes from the, the gift. The gifts of the Spirit. What God has given us by his gracious gift. Stott says, indeed, all God's gifts, natural and spiritual, need to be developed and used. Remember the Lord's parables of the talents and the pounds how they illustrate clearly the duty of service, the reward of faithfulness, and the danger of sloth. Do you remember those parables of the Lord? The danger of sloth and not being faithful with what you've been given, the gifts that you've been given. And so as we're told by Paul this morning to sit up, stir up, rekindle, you've been given a gift or he wants to give you gifts, let's use them. Time is too short to just be laying around as lazy Christians, not even knowing what spiritual gifts God's given you. That's tragic. Stir it up, find out what it is, whatever, but let's be on fire with the charisma and the gifts. If you go back one book 
to 1 Timothy again, chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. And so it's interesting as you read the New Testament, the Lord is not in a box as to how he pours his spirit out on you or the um, gifts that he distributes at various times or how he does that. And by that, I mean, um, as we are born again, every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Spirit, all right? Uh, We are born again. Uh, We now can obey the Lord and we can know the Lord. And then there's another time in a Christian's life, and you read the Bible, it might be at the time of salvation. It might be, uh, you know, later on at a church prayer meeting or at a camp or just in your living room while you're seeking the Lord. But the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit more upon you and more upon you. And the Greek is, it's the Greek word uh, epi, and it means continually being filled. Just continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are times where maybe it's a pastor prays for someone in the New Testament. Maybe an elder would pray for someone and they lay hands and, they, and, and the Holy Spirit pours out again and gives gifts. And there's prophecy and speaking in tongues and other things that would happen. But sometimes it's not speaking in tongues. Sometimes it's not prophecy. Sometimes it's not a guy laying on a hand. Sometimes it's at salvation. Sometimes it's at baptism. And so we just don't want to like be like, okay. All we know is, hey, I want the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit. I need his power. I need his charisma, his gracious gift in my life. I want to know what those gifts are. And you know what? There's times where there's laying on of hands and it's distributed. And I think those are times that there's a special, um, there is special purpose behind people for asking for giftings. Whether it's the person saying, lay your hands on me, or it's it's an elder that's saying, hey, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you, lay my hands on you, and just pray a gift over your life. Some of the gifts of the Spirit that we see in Romans chapter 12, or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or Ephesians chapter 4, or 1 Peter chapter 4, are prophecy, which is speaking forth the heart of God. It's different than Old Testament prophecy. New Testament prophecy is speaking exhortation, and edification and comfort to men. I don't believe New Testament prophecy is on the thus saith the Lord scale, okay? But that it's, 1 Corinthians tells us, it's exhortation, that's like spurring one another on. It's edification, which is lifting one another up. And it's comfort to men. Maybe the Lord would give you that gift. Other gifts are serving. You know, a lot of people, they'll help out. But then there's people that have the spiritual gift of service and help. And when they show up, they've got the biggest smile on their face because they just can't wait to help and contribute and unload that U-Haul, you know, or clean up that kitchen or, or put those canopies in that trailer at the park. They just got a gift, a charisma of service and help. There's gifts of teaching, of exhortation, of giving. The Bible says he who gives, gives liberally. And so you know that when you have the gift of giving, the Lord gives you the stuff to give. He gives you the heart to give it. And when you give, you are just liberal with it. There's the spiritual gift of leadership, of mercy. And 
Can I pause one second? The reason that I'm reading this is because we're going to take time as we close, and we're going to have the elders come up, and we're going to lay hands, and we're going to pray for spiritual gifts today for anybody that would desire that, okay, that would want gifts stirred up in their life. So, uh, so that's why I'm reading these, and maybe the Holy Spirit would say to you today, I've got that one for you today, all right? So just be, willing, just be ready as we're just going through the rest of today. The Lord just would say to you, all right, sit up, stir up, rekindle, all right? I've got something for you. I've got a gift, and when you operate in it, I've shown up, okay? We'll get into that in a second, but prophecy, serving, teaching, exhortation, that's someone who can speak into people and, and spur them on. Let's do this thing, guys. Uh, giving liberally, leadership, mercy, a mercy ministry, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. Okay, when you study word of wisdom, it's just that word that's spoken just at the right time that just brings just peace to situations. What are we going to do here? What are we going to do here? And then just someone speaks it and it's just from the Lord and it just brings a peace. It's wisdom. It's the right application of knowledge. All right? But then there's the word of knowledge. And when you see this in the New Testament, it's a gift that you are able to speak forth something into someone's life that only God knows. So you say something and, and, uh, and someone's like, how did you know that about me? I've never told anybody about that, that this has happened to me. And you know, you're just like, I, I don't know. I haven't been reading your diary but the Lord just, I just felt like the Lord said that this, this is for you today. All right, word of knowledge. Then there's the gift of faith. I like to call this when it's the gift of faith, because we all have faith, right? I mean, we're Christians. But the gift of faith, I like to call it extreme faith. All right, or it's a trust thrust, okay? Because the things we're called to do as Christians and even using our gifts, man, we need more faith. We'd be like the disciples who are like, Lord, increase my faith. And yes, I did just say, we be like the disciples, okay? <laughs> Lord, increase my faith. Then there's gifts of healings, okay? And my personal understanding as I've studied this is it's not one person that just goes around just like, boom, you're healed, boom, you're healed, boom, you're healed, boom, you're healed, but that it's gifts given specifically to a person at various times, okay? That's my understanding. It's Calvary Chapel position, that uh, it's not just one guy just like walks around like boom, boom, boom. Apostles certainly had that. But more how we see it in the word in the New Testament and in the churches as it was being used. And then with um, our own experiences are we pray for healings. And uh, sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't happen. We still trust the Lord. We still pray and we still do see healings often in this church. The gift of helps. The gift of administration. Boy, that is a, such a useful one around here because I don't got it. Um, the gift of tongues, which is speaking in a prayer language. And the gift of tongues is, is it's the tongues of angels. It's an unknown language. It's a language that when you pray it out in faith, you just open up your mouth and say, Lord, I believe you've given me this gift. It's the only gift out of all of them that's for you. It's the only gift that's, that's for your edification, that you pray it in your prayer closet and the only time you would pray it in public is if there would be a gift of interpretation there 
to not translate it, but to um, interpret it. And so where do we see many of these gifts in operation? It's typically not on a Sunday morning, but it's at the pulse. At the pulse, we give place for teachable moments of using our gifts. And we're, many of us were like, this is the first time I've ever done this, so I'm just going to do it. And we, and we just say, hey, you know what? As you would speak forth a tongue, just be ready that if, if there's no interpretation here, or maybe someone's too scared to give it, or maybe someone says something, but it's more of a prophecy, like, just so you know, like, it's okay, we're just going to be teachable, and we're just going to, like, we're going to kind of just talk about what's going on, okay? And so, even at the last pulse two weeks ago, we gave room for the Holy Spirit to move, and he spoke in such an incredible way. As we began to pray about just evangelism in our community and that we would be a church of evangelists preaching the gospel, that our church would grow not merely through our own progeny that's in the back that, uh, you know, we're just like, hey, um, we're growing our church through having babies, right? That's great, but we desire to see people getting saved. And coming into this church and not just, well, I got really ticked off at First Baptist. Or I got really ticked off at the Ascent. So I got to go to the, it's bound to work out well at Calvary Chapel. You know, but, and that's all great and it has its place, but we want people to get saved. And so as we just gave place for the Holy Spirit to speak, the Lord spoke this word. And it was just as in World War I, when the troops were in trench warfare and they were in a stalemate. You know the, the no man's land that would be between the Germans and the British or the Germans and the, the you know, our, uh, United States forces? Uh, there was this no man's land of barbed wire and bomb craters, and you couldn't go out there. You'd die. And for like a year, there was one place where there was no advancement on either side. But there came times where the, all the soldiers have to line up in the trench, and the officer would get his whistle out, and he would blow it. And when he blew that whistle, it didn't matter what, you obeyed the commander's orders and you went up over the lip of that trench that you might take ground and we felt it was such a word for our church that it is time calvary chapel to take ground it is time to just it's scary to open your mouth about the gospel it's scary to share with your coworker. it's scary to tell them that they're sinners and that they can't make it on their own i learned that at church and i just got to share it with you you can't make it on your own but jesus has made it for you and if you'll just confess your sins and trust in him you'll be saved you'll be born again you'll have a new life you'll have hope of heaven and i just got to tell you open up your mouth and say it take ground stop hiding in the trench and so the Lord, you might notice on the church Facebook page, there's a picture of just these real World War I soldiers going up over the trench and just says, take ground. Just, we believe that was just a word spoken to edify and exhort and to encourage our church. And while that was being said, I also had a picture and uh, it was just of, it was actually of the Episcopal Church and it was like a bouncy house and it was just bulging out at the sides. It was like all inflated and just like bulging out and it was full of people it was full of people who had heard the gospel from you guys and got saved from you guys and now they were going to be equipped so that they could go out and make disciples and so these are just times that we just give to the lord it's like man just just be quiet and you know the bible says that in the latter times people will have visions and dream dreams and weird jenga block people you know i shared Okay. Anywho, let's move on. 
There's the gift of apostle, and we believe that that was just the original apostles who'd been with Jesus face to face, including Paul. And everyone from that point on were, uh, they were, um, you know, pastors, they were teachers, they were prophets, they were evangelists. But those are all gifts of the Spirit as well. Anyone who speaks and speaks in teaching the word, it's a gift. Those who would render service. You know, in some accounts, some would say celibacy is a spiritual gift so that you can preach the gospel without distraction of family in 1 Corinthians 7. Hospitality is a gift. It's a gift that a pastor must have. Intercession is a gift. Marriage is a gift. Effective witnessing is a gift of the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, you see giftings given to men uh, like craftsmanship. Uh, artisans who could construct the temple. And you know what, guys? We're going into a season very possibly, it's highly likely, I can speak with a level of certainty that we will be going into a situation soon where we will be needing people to step up and use gifts to help modify uh, the building. And so be praying for that and how you might use your gifts and skills in that way. You have interpretation of dreams. You have composing spiritual music and poetry and prose. And so with all of that, there's many different spiritual gifts. And you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible says that spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. What's that mean? Manifest or manifestation means something shows up. Okay? So spiritual gifts, when people are using their gifts, the Holy Spirit's shown up. Like he is moving in a powerful way there. We also see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that not everybody has the same gifts. Not everybody has the same gifts. You're going to have a different gift than this person. You know, it says that every gift has an important part. And if we are like a body, we need the eyes, we need the ears, we need the mouth, we need the nose, we need the head, we need the shoulders, we need the knees and the toes. Okay. But don't be jealous because you're not an eye. And don't think that we have no need of you because you're the little hangy thing at the back of the throat. I don't know what that thing is, but it's got a purpose, I'm pretty sure. Okay? If not, think of how many great cartoons have been made because of that thing. It's brought a lot of joy. Okay? You are an important part, whatever the gift is that you have. And so you need to stir it up or you need to ask for it today. But don't be jealous, all right? We have need for everything. And the Bible says, earnestly desire the best gift. Which one of those is the best? It's not the one that's up here talking all the time. That's not the best one. The best one, first of all, I don't mean to be cliche. It's the one the Lord has for you, for sure, right? But it's the one that's needed right now. Right now, we need this gift. I often pray at the prayer meeting for a gift of healing when we're praying for a brother and sister who's, who's in pain or has just been diagnosed. We pray gifts of healing. What's the, what's the gift that needs? Sometimes it's, man, oh, man, we've had worship leaders leave the church and, and go on to new and greener pastures. And, and it's like, well, okay, what do we got? And we've laid hands on people. We've prayed for people. We've prayed for gifts. And the Lord has always been faithful to give People with musical ability. 
There's a lot of needs in this church. And honestly, you just take a walk around and you're going to know what they are. You know what we're going through as a church right now. You'll know what they are. You know what we've got in the future with possible building purchase. You'll know there's a lot of gifts that are going to be needed. What is it for you? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit distributes the gifts to each one. Do you have a genuine faith here today? You're an each one. Okay. First Peter tells us that he distributes the gifts to each one and for everyone. If you're a Christian here today. And yet it's so tragic to me that so many people don't even know what their gifts are. I've been a Christian for 20 years and I don't even know what my gifts are. Why not? Why not? Have you ever been prayed for for spiritual gifts? We're going to have the worship team come back up. And, and of course, uh, Johnny's one of our elders. So he's going to be laying hands on people like, I think you can do it. But we're going to have uh, Johnny come up in the worship team. And we're going to have Adam come up. He's a deacon in the church. He's going to come up, just be up here for prayer. And that's just the word of the Lord for us today. For those who have a genuine faith, it's time to stir up and fan the flame in your life. Fan the flame. Let the Lord set you on fire and pour out his spirit upon you today. You know, we believe firmly, biblically and, and with experience, that the Holy Spirit's role is not to just do a bunch of wacky, crazy stuff that's just going to make us be like, Whoa! you know, and just cause distractions and freak everybody out and no one knows, you know, like, sorry, just, you're not going to get that here. <laughs> we believe that the Holy Spirit, he's a God of order. He's come and he will show up and, and wonderful things happen when he does. But it's not freaky deaky, all right? It makes sense with what he's said will happen. Okay, and I believe that today what he wants to do is he just wants to be a distributor of gifts so that this church can be built up so that this world can see Jesus and hear about Jesus and be saved. So if you are here today and you just know that the Lord just he wants to impart a gift to you. Maybe you know what he spoke to you. Maybe you know just what gift he wants to give you. You can come up and you can share with us. We'll pray that over you. Maybe you have no idea. You just know I need some gifts, Lord. I've just been lazy in my spiritual walk. Maybe you would just come forward today and just, just pray that the flame would be fanned in your life. Maybe you're here today and you, you honestly can't say you have a genuine faith in Jesus. Your life doesn't reflect that. You've never put your trust in Jesus to forgive your sins. When you put your trust in Jesus, you have never then moved to live for Jesus. And you just would like prayer just for genuine faith that moves and lives and commits to Jesus, not only as Savior, which we all love, but also as Lord and Master of your life. We could pray that for you today, and then we would also pray just a gifting upon you. So during this last song, just anyone, and, and it's okay if a lot of people come up, we'll just pray kind of en masse for people as they would come up, and we just want to pray 
Lord, here we are. We read your word, and we are just applying it to our lives here. We want to stir up the gift. And in this case today, we even want to have elders and deacon laying on hands and just praying for gifts to be imparted. Would you just move in our midst today? Would you just help people to trust you, that you want to take them the next awesome step in their spiritual lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and as parts of this church, Calvary Chapel. You want to use them here radically. Let today be that first day, Lord. Come up during this song.